With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to America's Home for Stadium News and Information. Stadium's USA Radio. Once again, with your ticket to the action, here's Bill Hazen. With the World Series in full swing, we're going to take a peek inside the new scoreboard system at Wrigley Field. What would legendary broadcasters like Jack Brickhouse, Vince Lloyd, and Lou Boudreau, what would they think? We'll find out what it does and how it works. When the Cubs last achieved World Series glory, it occurred in Detroit at the corner of Michigan and Trumbull. Four years later, what we knew as Tiger Stadium would be built on that site. Author Tom Stanton wrote the book on Tiger Stadium. His family shared four generations there. You'll meet him. This week's NFL Monday Night Football game showcases the NFL's oldest stadium, Soldier Field. Author Paul Michael Preston shares the story of this venue. And Stadiums USA's Mark Madoran says the new hockey arena in Detroit could have more than one tenant. But first, the stadium's beat with Jeff Schmidt. Jeff? Well, reports surfaced this week that the stadium deal in Las Vegas intended to bring the Oakland Raiders to town may be on shaky ground. Casino mogul Sheldon Adelson says he is prepared to walk away from the project if terms offered by the Raiders do not improve. Adelson has vowed to contribute up to $650 million for the proposed Dome Stadium. Adelson didn't give specific details on his issues with the Raiders, other than to say right now they want too much. A man who fell 60 feet from a stairwell railing at Denver's Sports Authority Field has died. 36-year-old Jason Coy fell backwards while sitting on the railing following the Broncos game last Monday night against Houston. He was alive when emergency officials rushed him to the hospital, but later passed away at Denver Health Medical Center. Private developers in Scottsdale, Arizona are exploring the idea of building a 20,000-seat multi-purpose arena that could potentially house the Arizona Coyotes or Phoenix Suns. The venue would be part of a larger 65-acre sports village that would include retail, entertainment, living, and workspaces. One source called the project, quote, an examination with nothing concrete set. The Suns' current lease at Talking Stick Resort Arena expires in 15 years. The Coyotes' deal in the Gila River Arena runs out after this season with an option to extend that contract. And during every Super Bowl, World Series, Stanley Cup, and NBA Finals, we detail the exorbitant prices paid for tickets. Of course, with the Chicago Cubs part of the equation, the numbers at the Fall Classic are off the charts. The average ticket sold on StubHub for games 3, 4, and 5 at Wrigley Field was more than $3,000 apiece. One fan bought four seats in a bullpen box seat along the first baseline 
for $18,000 a piece. And if you are one of the lucky ones to find a place to park, you can ante up an additional $300. And bars and restaurants in and around Wrigleyville are charging $250 just for entry into their establishments. Money is flowing this weekend on the north side of Chicago. Bill, that's the very latest. Okay, Jeff, thank you. As the World Series continues, Wrigley Field is buzzing here in Chicago. And one gentleman who knows all about it, he has a catbird seat inside the ballpark. His name is Kummer Zaman. He is one of the operators of the new outfield scoreboards at Wrigley Field. These beautiful boards display tons of of information. We're going to learn what it's like to operate these boards. Commer, it's great to visit with you. Take us through the process. What is your involvement? What is your area of expertise relative to what goes up on that board? Oh, it was great to have you on, Bill. Um, I, I work with the statistical portions of the video board. I operate the statistical software that uh, puts up information on the board. So I would enter the batting lineups and the pitching matchups, and then once the game begins, I would enter each pitch and each hit, each event, and that would correspond to go with the video board. It would put up statistical information and keep track of, of the game. This is one of the interesting elements of these giant displays. They can be divided up to show multiple things at a given time, including advertising, of course, which is certainly something the Cubs want to make sure is in that mix. So it does take a team to operate it. Tell us about the team, how many people are on it, and what they do. Uh, well, there's a collection of at least 30 of us. That we're on a rotating schedule as well, but uh, at least 30 of us, most of them are for video production, cameramen, operators, production staff, and then I myself work alongside the DJ that uh, you know, plays the music in between innings and, and for the players to walk up. And I also work with two other people that control what goes up on the fascia boards and the upper deck boards and the wall boards in left field and right field as well as video board itself. Is your information, the information that you put into the system, is that constantly displayed or is it displayed for a while and removed in favor of something else? When the game is going on in progress, um, we have uh, information of each batter and each pitcher um, their season statistics, what they've done for that particular game uh, in the left field board. And then the right field board, we would have the batting order for each team and a pitch count for the pitcher. What is the experience like for a fan who goes into the ballpark and uh, views it for the first time, just as everybody did soon after the season began when the scoreboard was ready to bring online? Now you'll be actually see replays of events. Um, we put up replays for uh, challenged calls uh, by both teams, but you'll be able to see replays of every out, every hit. Um, we'll also put up out-of-town uh, highlights and such. But you also get tons of information, tons of statistics. You won't get any kiss cams. You won't get any of that. It's, <laughs> there's no gimmicks. There's no frills with it. But 
it's a huge addition to Wrigley Field, literally and figuratively, something that's been needed, and I'm honored to be just a little tiny piece of that. I've had a chance during my youth to see Cubs baseball when it was a pretty rough affair. Right now, the place is buzzing. Take us inside and, uh, you know, what are people talking about? What are they sensing? It has to be a wonderful atmosphere. The buzz in the stadium progressively throughout the season has increased. The fans are sensing that this isn't just a short-term thing, that the, the baseball operations staff has put together a team not just on the major league level, but also in developing uh, the minor league uh, system, that this is going to sustain itself for years to come. And the fans have been patient. Obviously, you've, as you mentioned, it's been beyond a century since the, the Cubs have won a World Series. But recently, it's been, over the last six years, a, a rebuilding stretch. And now we're seeing the, the patience pay off. With, with the performance of this team. Well, anybody going to the game will have a better feeling for how this is done. It's very sophisticated, and uh, the results are there for everybody to see and enjoy. Comer, we appreciate it so much. Thanks for the visit, continued success, and have a lot of fun with us. It's turning into a great year. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, it's been a great year, and like I said, I'm just one small part. There's, it's a huge staff, a huge crew that, that does it, and the games that I do get to work, it's really been a privilege to work at Wrigley Field. Kamar Zaman, who works as one of the operators of the big display board at Wrigley Field, which just came online. Now, don't go away. Straight ahead, we're going to another iconic ballpark, one that is no longer with us, historic Tiger Stadium in Detroit. It was at the corner of Michigan and Trumbull where the Chicago Cubs last celebrated a World Series championship. Author Tom Stanton is our guest. That's next, right here on SB Nation Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out fanessentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. dad took you to baseball games in your favorite city, wherever it happened to be, maybe the two of you watched those broadcasts, talked about the game, listened to great broadcasters call the plays on the radio. Tom Stanton had such an experience. He listened to one of the very best call baseball, Ernie Harwell, the great and late Ernie Harwell, and he watched those games at baseball's most famed corner in Michigan, where the streets Michigan and Trumbull come together, and everybody in Detroit certainly knows where that is. We are going to visit with Tommy's written a fascinating book about the final 
season of what we would later know as Tiger Stadium or Briggs Stadium. It had several names through the years. And you decided to attend all of the games of the last season in this wonderful ballpark. I know it reflects back on your family's rich tradition and history with the Tiger organization. That does go a long way back. How long had your family been actually attending Tiger's games? Well, we had we had four generations of our family, Bill, that were uh, at that ballpark. It wow. went back to my grandfather, who was a Polish immigrant, and he had come over uh, in the early 1900s uh, seeking uh, a better life and didn't know anything about baseball, but he certainly learned quickly that it was uh, at the heart of um, many of uh, his comrades in the uh, in the auto plants, and he uh, he took it upon himself to assimilate himself and learn about the sport, and he started uh, going to games at what was then Navin Field. The ballpark had opened in uh, 1912 on the same day as Fenway Park. Mm -hmm. And uh, in time, he'd take his sons, and uh, one of his sons was my dad, who who took uh, me and my brother and our uh, sisters as well, and I, in turn, took my son. So four generations uh, of us going between 1912 and 1999, which was the last year of Tiger Stadium. Tiger Stadium, as you know, grew quite a bit through various additions to it, to the point where, of course, that upper deck went virtually all the way around. You were really walking into almost a totally different world, weren't you, when you stepped into Tiger Stadium and you walked out from underneath, and there it was, a, a beautiful field, beautiful stands and everything, uh, uh, just a completely different worldly experience. Was that what it was like for you? Oh, absolutely. It, uh, there was... Uh that had occurred by the late 1930s, that double-deck embracing feeling of the stadium. Mm -hmm. And you would go in it, and the rest of the, the world outside was was just closed off from you. And so you could uh, just pretend you were uh, in an altogether different environment, uh, secluded from whatever was happening outside those walls, which... which um, you know, on one occasion in 1967 was uh, riots occurring outside those walls. And, hmm. and so if you were in there, you didn't have any sense other than maybe seeing a little bit of smoke uh, that was happening far off in the distance. But that was part of what, the magic of the place to me is that uh, you would just be wrapped up in that world. And it was um, it created a deceptive feeling because it was a large hmm. ballpark seating 50-some thousand folks. But uh, you would feel as it was very intimate when you were inside, when you were down in the lower seats and in these high walls coming up uh, along the sides. I never made it to Ebbets Field, but I've been told that Ebbets Field had a similar feel about it. I do remember the late Bob Elson, legendary broadcaster for the Chicago White Sox. He loved going to Tiger Stadium and would often tell his listeners that for a broadcaster, those booths, the location of the radio broadcast booths, he said were without question the best in baseball. Well, certainly when you'd look up and you could see Ernie Harwell up in there, and you'd wave to him as a fan. But I, I was fortunate to have the opportunity to sit with Ernie Harwell in that last season uh, for one of the games, part of one of the games. And he was closer. He loved to say this. It's no secret in Detroit. Mm -hmm. He loved to say that his spot was closer to home plate than the shortstop. That's not actually an exaggeration. I mean, he was right on top of the action. One of the complaints people had at uh, Tiger Stadium and in ballparks of that generation is that there were so many obstructed view seats, and that's because the structure of it allowed the second depth to be right on top of the action, uh, which puts you closer if you had the good seats, puts you closer to the field than you 
can be now, but that would have been the downside. But you're you're right, and the the broadcaster was right. Those broadcast booths were just right on top of the action, and uh, we I don't think we have anything comparable today. You tell a very interesting story at the ballpark about your father and your uncle, who had not seen each other for three decades, and they resume that relationship at the ballpark. Can you tell us about that? Well, sure. The the ballpark became, after the family home that my father and his brothers had grown up, uh, was demolished, the last place where they had a kind of common ground. And uh, and so having a reunion for the two in a neutral territory, even though there wasn't really no bad blood, but I didn't know that, allowed us to do that at the ballpark. It was, you know, it was a wonderful experience that they both had gone there when they were young men, that they had both been with their father there many decades prior, the various greats that they had seen from Hank Greenberg to Charlie Geringer to even the visiting greats like Babe Ruth. And so, yeah, it was a common patch of ground where they could share the game and then kind of get reacquainted, and they did that. Is that what you miss the most about Tiger Stadium as compared to the new park, Comerica Park, which by all accounts is a, a very nice ballpark? Yeah, it, it is a lovely park, and I don't have any problem with Comerica Park. You know, what I miss most is the sense of history. Even though that ballpark has now been there 16 years, the other one had been there since 1912. And you really felt that when you went inside. It was an industrial kind of ballpark. It felt as if it was made for kind of the working guy. Uh, there were no none of the flourishes that you see architecturally now in ballparks. It was a very nuts and bolts kind of place with big steel girders sometimes rusting and it. It just had that, that hardened city kind of feel about it. All right. Well, we want to wish you well. We're going toward the Christmas season, so let's sell a million of those books, the newer ones and the final season, and uh, continued success with your writing, Tom. Thank you. It's a pleasure talking with you. Tom Stanton, our guest, talking about a wonderful book, The Final Season. Now, when we return, we're going to dig into Talking Shop. And joining us, Mark Medoran, standing by. That's next, right here on SB Nation Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit FanEssentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit FanEssentials.net to get all of the essentials you need.
It is time to talk shop once again, and stepping into the plate, Mark Bedoran, president and creator of the Stadiums USA website. It's appropriate to take your swings. This is World Series time. We remind you, Stadiums USA is the nation's preeminent source for stadium information. Check it out at stadiumsusa.com. Also, you can listen to the podcasts of Stadiums USA Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network and subscribe to us on iTunes. And, of course, listen each week. Catch the program right here on SB Nation Radio. Mark, the Fall Classic continues tonight at Wrigley Field. Anyone who's attended a game at the friendly confines knows that finding parking is anything but friendly. Give us a hint on what folks are actually doling out for parking at this year's series. Uh, The World Series is... Uh, new to Wrigley Field, it hasn't been there for 71 years, and the local residents are taking advantage of this unique opportunity to increase parking fees for fans coming to the game. Many of the local lots were charging 50 to 100 just for the NLCS completed last week. Mm. This week, for the same parking place, you could probably pay double. Wow. This weekend at the World Series, as it moves into the north side of Chicago, people are talking about numbers that are very close to 150 to 200 to get a reasonably close parking place. Um, Some of the local lots are taking reservations. ParkWiz, which is a parking app, has about 50 spots close to the park for, get this, $300 a piece. Other locations a mile or more away from the ballpark are going for more reasonable numbers like $25 to $30. Mm -hmm. But if you plan to drive to Wrigley, good luck. From experience, because most people know our show's based in Chicago, Mm -hmm. from experience, I will tell you, the best way to manage Wrigley is by bus, by L train, by taxi, or by shuttle. That's the best way to get it done. Yeah, no doubt about it. I'd say the L train is the big winner there. Get on someplace on the red line or elsewhere and take that. That would seem to me to be the best way. It's amazing how many people don't do that. Big it's really sport. the best way. There's no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah. Mark, one of the sport's most storied franchises, the New York Yankees, are making some changes at Yankee Stadium, all in an effort to combat dropping numbers at the gate. Can it be that the Bronx Bombers are having attendance issues here? Well, Bill, the New York Yankees have seen attendance drop more than 700,000 from the 2010 season when the ballpark was in its second year. In an effort to boost attendance, the Yankees are going to make some major changes to the stadium. The changes involve removing 2,100 bleacher seats in order to open up uh, bars, party areas, play areas for children, and patio spots for fans to watch the game from there. Uh, One of the patio areas will be above the left field bullpen. There'll be another area, a party area, above the right field bullpen. Mm-hmm. They're also putting in children areas out in the outfield as well. So it's going to be really interesting. Additionally, the Yankees are making available 2,500 seats for every game that will sell for $15 or less. Mm. And that's just to attract fans. The Yankees are having some attendance issues. Now, they haven't played very well the last few years, and that's part of it as well. But Mm -hmm. this year, they only averaged about 37,000 fans, and that's about three-quarters of the capacity 
of the new Yankee Stadium. Interesting. We've been keeping a close eye, Mark, on the Detroit Red Wings new arena and the potential impact it will have on the near north side of Detroit. And this next season, they're going to move into that arena. And of course, we've discussed this at great length. Word this week that the Red Wings may not be the only tenant in the building. What's going on here? Uh, The soon-to-be-finished Little Caesars Arena will be the new home of the Red Wings, but it could also be the new home of the Detroit Pistons of the NBA. The Pistons are looking into the possibilities. There are some construction details that need to be modified to suit NBA basketball, um, but local businesses would absolutely love having the Pistons there generating an additional 41 dates Hmm. to fill restaurants and bars with fans. The uh, Pistons now are playing at the Palace, Mm -hmm. and that's a nice facility, but it's nowhere near downtown Detroit, and there's really nothing around it. So this would create a totally different feel in downtown Detroit, and I think it's something that the city is really, really hoping can be worked out between the two parties. Mark, time to take a good look at significant stadium and ballpark events. What do you have this week in stadium history? This week in 1954, NBA arenas were forced to make some changes. They needed to make room at the corners of the court for the new 24-second shot clock. (laughs) The clock that would forever change the way the game is played was first used in a contest between the Rochester Royals and Boston Celtics. This week in 1961, groundbreaking takes place in Flushing, New York for Shea Stadium, the soon-to-be new home for the Mets and Jets. And, of course, we've already waved goodbye to that uh, a couple of years ago. (laughs) Yeah. This week in 1974, Bill, one of your favorite arenas, Richfield Coliseum, opens just outside of Cleveland, and it would house the Cavaliers and Soccer's Cleveland Crunch. And uh, you remember much about that arena? Uh, I know you do. Oh, I surely do. I love that place. It was so advanced for its time. It was large. It did have skyboxes but it had a two-lane road running in front of it, and that's what did it in, Mark. I'm Bill from the Stadiums USA Quiz this week, located on stadiumsusa.com. Here is the quiz question for you. All right. In honor of the NBA tipping off this week, which current NBA arena has the smallest seating capacity? Is it the Smoothie King Center in New Orleans, home of the Pelicans? Mm -hmm. Is it Barclays Center in Brooklyn, home of the Nets? Is it Golden One Center in Sacramento, the brand-new home of the Kings? Or is it the Oracle Arena in Oakland, home of the Golden State Warriors? All right. Well, if we were doing this 15 years ago, the Oracle Arena in Oakland would be the choice because that seated about 15,000. It would have been far and away the smallest, but they increased that. So I'm going to take them off the board. And the Golden One Center in Sacramento is pretty large. So it's between the Smoothie King Center and the Barclays Center. And I was surprised when the numbers came out on the Barclays Center, it was quite small. So I'm saying it's the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Well, that's a great guess, hmm. but unfortunately incorrect. Uh-oh. <laughs> it, <laughs> the smallest seating capacity NBA belongs to the Pelicans, the Smoothie hmm. King Center in New Orleans. Uh, the former New Orleans Arena has a seating capacity of only 16,867, which is pretty small by NBA standards. Well, Mark, very good, and uh, we will go ahead and see you next week. Enjoy college football at Amon G. Carter Stadium. <laughs> TCU campus, 
Fort Worth, Texas. And I have many a time and driven safely on my way home after those games, Mark. Very good. Coming up next, the Vikings and the Bears do battle Monday night at historic Soldier Field. Our next guest has written about the history of Soldier Field, the NFL's oldest venue, and we'll get into that next on SB Nation Radio. This Monday night, the Chicago Bears will host the Minnesota Vikings, and it'll take place at historic Soldier Field, the stadium the Bears have called home now, reaching back to 1971. It's hard to believe. It almost seems like yesterday when they used to play in Wrigley Field, which they did for a long time, but they've been in Soldier Field for many years. A very interesting, very unique facility and the oldest facility in the NFL. It was renovated in 2003. We're going to dig into this stadium. We've talked a lot about it, but we've never spoken directly to it. And so we've asked Paul Michael Peterson to join us. He has written a wonderful book uh, called Chicago's Soldier Field. What did you learn? You did an awful lot of research, Paul, on this. What did you learn about this stadium, perhaps that many people didn't know? Well, um, I had not realized all of the different sports functions and um, and social functions that had occurred at Soldier Field. I had always thought of it growing up as where the Bears played. And as I as I grew older, my my father had talked about having season tickets to the Bears games, and I said, "Oh, so you went all the way down to, Re- to Soldier Field?" And he says, "No, no, they play at Wrigley Field," mm-hmm. which which I couldn't uh, couldn't comprehend and hadn't realized. So mm-hmm. um, a few years later, when I started writing books, I wanted to explore the stadium. I had not realized at the time one of the most interesting facets was the uh, heavyweight championship of 1927 that occurred there between Gene Tunney and Jack Dempsey. They had uh, just under 105,000 boxing fans who had attended this um, this event, and, and most of the people had to have binoculars to see it because of the, the poor sight lines. It, a ticket cost $40 in 1927, if you can imagine the the correlation in cost today to what that what that would have been back then, but uh, I came across things such as the the circus um, had had um, operated there and had a few um, shows, rodeos, stock car races, and um, even President uh, Franklin Roosevelt had spoken there before a crowd of 150,000 spectators. So, you know, I primarily thought of Soldier Field mainly as just a football field, but, um, you know, the Bears, you said, the Bears didn't start there until 1971, and we had all these other operations and, and events occurring there over the years prior to our Chicago Bears making it their home base. This stadium, Soldier Field, and the L.A. Coliseum have a similar vision when they were originally designed. They were designed specifically as Olympic stadiums and actually were oversized for football. Can you go into that? Well, um, Soldier Field was originally designed in 1919. It opened five years later in 1924 as Municipal Grant Park Stadium. There is a um, Coliseum-like facade to the stadium, which was inspired by by this uh, architectural philosophy. And, mm-hmm. and uh, we have the Doric colonnades rising 100 feet above the field, serving as a monument to the, the men and women who served in World War I and all the wars before and since then. It was later renamed, but uh, as, as far as the uh, the look, it looked like a Coliseum, like, like the Coliseums of ancient Rome. That was at a time when they were building some of the other 
structures along the lake there, like the Field Museum. It later became renamed Soldier Field in 1925 in memory of Americans. But um, that's since evolved with the updates to the architecture, but it still retains that, that classic look to uh, passersby. And then we had the second renovation in 2003, and probably uh, one of the most amazing renovations ever attempted. The job here was to build a new stadium inside of the old stadium. And brother, that is no easy trick. It had to fit within those columns, the Doric columns that you just spoke about. Let's go into that. Well, uh, when the city and the Bears agreed on the solution to this uh, reconstruction, the idea was to place a modern football stadium inside the rim of uh, Soldier Field, which involved cutting out the innards of the, um, the the flat low-lying portion of the stadium and inserting the, the current uh, postmodern part they have. And that was at a cost of uh, $365 million. Mm-hmm. And uh, during that 2002 season, when they were breaking ground, the Bears had to move to Champaign's Memorial Stadium for that season until they could return the following year. The final design had seats that were incredibly close to the field, breathtakingly close. When you yes. got in there, the seats were superb. Yes. Well, currently it uh, it seats over about sixty one thousand, if I'm not if I'm not wrong, and mm-hmm. I th- I believe it's the smallest stadium in the NFL. Yeah, they make a lot of that up with skybox revenue. They do have a five story skybox structure there, which is absolutely magnificent as a part of the design. Uh, let's talk about the fact that uh, this stadium is probably too small. They had to build it smaller, perhaps, than desired today for things like the Super Bowl. It has no dome, uh, but it does retain a lot of the original, and that weighs big in a town like this. Can you speak to that? One of the things that people have to consider is that um, football was not quite as popular uh, when it was constructed as it is today, as we know it. You know, it, it, for all intents and purposes, people enjoyed boxing and baseball in that in that decade, probably more than football. And I think football was just starting to catch on in the uh, in the 1920s and beyond. So I don't know if they had the long view at that time of of uh, how long it would last or, or what would become of the sport. I do know with the renovation they had they had talked about and have talked about since then um, the idea of having a um, retractable dome, which uh, which would make great accommodations with our our wonderful winter weather. As far as the um, the vision and the scope, I think at the time they thought that uh, that the size was adequate. Paul, very good. It's a pleasure visiting with you. We wish you well. Continued success on this. And uh, sell a million of them, will you? I think it would be Thank good. you. <laughs> we wish Thanks you for well. having me. A pleasure. Paul Michael Peterson, our guest, talking about Soldier Field. You'll see it firsthand on Monday night. That's our program for this week. Bill Hazen saying thank you very much for being with us. We hope you enjoyed the show. We have a full day of sports coverage ahead, so stay tuned right here on SB Nation Radio. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.